Today on Blue 58, the Packers' edge rusher group wasn't as dynamic as it's been in the past, but they pulled their weight amid some other problems on the defense. So how do you go about evaluating a group that hit its expectations but had low expectations to begin with? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. This is not so much a tough episode to do, but an interesting challenge tone-wise. I like the edge rushers that the Packers had this year. I wish they had more of them, and I don't really know how to present this all this information in a way that doesn't sound like a bunch of backhanded compliments as a result. Because I think if you look at the Packers' edge rushers, as we, as you may have guessed, go through our position-by-position group and land on our position-by-position review and land on edge rushers now, I think you you have a bit of a problem here. Because on the one hand, the edge rusher group wasn't particularly great this year. You had two guys at the top end that you felt pretty good about in Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith coming into the year. You had one interesting rookie beyond that, and then pretty much nothing else there. So how much could you really expect from that group anyway? But then you had a couple of those guys play pretty good, and one other guy kind of come along as the season went along. So they played well, but it still probably wasn't enough. And it's not their fault. This is something that we talked about through all of last offseason, through the NFL draft. Why didn't the Packers more aggressively pursue adding edge rusher talent? And we don't really have an answer for that. You can understand looking back at kind of the balance of things from the end of the the 2020 season through 2021, why things went the way that they did with Zadarius Smith. But after he departed, the Packers really had no other talent filled in there other than J.J. or Kingsley and Igbare. And as a result, you end up with a position group that's kind of shorthanded to begin with, even if they played, I think, pretty well this year as a whole. So really, I think the only thing to do is to do exactly what we, we always do in these situations and just look at the players. Because the roster construction isn't something they have any control over. It's just a matter of going out and doing what they can. And I think at that level, on a player-by-player basis, this position group did pretty well in 2022. Top to bottom, you got pretty much what you expected from everyone on the roster. Some of those things weren't great, but if you wanted more than that, that's more a question of expectations and roster construction than an issue with the player himself. We also get to touch on something that we didn't get to do with quarterbacks here. Guys that I term cameo players, guys that are barely on the field at all. And I draw that line at 100 total snaps uh, on your primary unit. So edge rushers, they play defense. If you didn't hit 100 snaps on defense, we're not going to talk about you as as an evaluation within your position group. So falling into that category, the cameo players among the Packers edge rusher this year are Tiba Nalii, Kobe Jones, and Ladarius Hamilton. Nolly, I played a grand total of zero snaps on defense this year, though he did play 85 on special teams, was a core special teamer while he was a member of the Packers, ultimately did not make it all the way through the, the 2022 season. Kobe Jones played seven snaps on defense this year. I defy you to remember a single one of them, just kind of the nature of how things go sometimes. Uh, just got seven snaps in one game. And then Ladarius Hamilton, played 28 snaps on the year, has been hanging around 
uh, for a couple years now, uh, kind of a, a fairly big end but or, or edge rusher type, but uh, just did not make it to the field more than 28 snaps, so there's really not a whole lot we can talk about as far as he goes. Ladarius Hamilton is the last of the cameo players. We do get to talk about Justin Hollins, though, as a member of the Packers edge rusher group. 128 snaps on defense for Mr. Hollins, eight on special teams. Was a pretty core contributor for the Packers defense after he came over from the Rams. Never played fewer than 26% of the snaps in a given game after joining the team in late November. Stats-wise, pretty good, I think, for Hotlands, given how long he was in Green Bay. Two and a half sacks, three tackles for loss, four quarterback hits. In terms of pressure rate, he was getting to the quarterback on a fairly regular basis. Overall pressure rate of 10.84%, second best on the team. Pretty darn good performance for a guy who didn't show up in Green Bay until November. I think the expectations for Hollins had to be pretty low given when he was acquired. Ended up, I think, being a pretty solid fourth edge rusher for the Packers defense. I don't really know what you could have wanted from him or asked for more than what he was able to give the Packers given when he arrived in Green Bay, came in, filled the role, and did pretty good filling that role down the stretch in the season. The problem for him is what comes next year, because there is a pretty big, pretty significant problem for Hollins and the Packers when it comes to his free agent status. He is an unrestricted free agent, which means that he's probably going to price himself out of the Packers market pretty quickly for a few reasons. First and most obviously, the Packers don't have a ton to spend. Pretty big threshold, pretty big obstacle right there. Second, just looking at the Packers' depth chart, Hollins is more than likely going to be their fourth edge rusher. Given that you've got other guys on your roster who do what he does, or at least try to do what he does, and also give you some value elsewhere, how much are you really going to spend on that fourth edge rusher anyway? The third point relates to that because he really doesn't play special teams at all. And the Packers could really only justify having him around as a basically only defense player because Rashawn Gary was out and they desperately needed a third edge rusher because Jonathan Garvin really wasn't getting the job done there. That adds up to a situation where it's hard to see Justin Hollins back in Green Bay next year. And we're going to avoid saying the caveat, well, if the price is right, because that applies to everybody. That's something that comes up this time of year all over the place, all across Every team in the NFL, anybody who writes or does does content about about their team will say stuff like that about every single player who's fitting free agency. Well, if the price is right, I'd love to have them back with insert team here. Well, obviously, yes. Every team would say that about every one of their players. If we could fit them under the salary cap, we'd love to have them back. We had them here this year for a reason. We don't think he's a bum, but you know, if we could afford him, we'd keep him around. But that's the whole question here. How do you fit your roster together given your salary constraints? And the Packers are probably going to have some throughout this offseason, regardless of what happens with Aaron Rodgers. Not insurmountable, but again, how much do you really want to spend on your fourth edge rusher anyway? So your fourth edge, or in the early portions of the season, your third edge might end up being somebody like Jonathan Garvin again. How did Mr. Garvin do in 2022? Well, I'm happy you asked because he's next on our list of players to discuss. 193 snaps on defense for the former Miami Hurricane, 124 on special teams, no sacks, no tackles for loss, two quarterback hits. His pressure rate was 8.43%, and that might sound like it's it's bad. It's down from where it was last year, and it, it's not great, but 
this is where the question of expectations comes in. Because when we did our preseason expectations last year, we said we had low expectations for Jonathan Garvin. Why? Well, I said I didn't think he'd match last year's production numbers. His pressure rate was over 10% in 2021, which seemed like a fluke then, and it seems like even more of a fluke now. So how did he do this year? Basically exactly what we thought. He didn't get to the quarterback regularly. When he was out on the field, he was not making plays. He did provide some, I guess, valuable snaps on special teams in that you just need somebody to fill some of those snaps at some point. He was what we thought he was going to be in 2022, not a guy who added a lot to the Packers' defense. As far as next year goes, he's on the books for just over a million dollars next year. I think the safe assumption is that he's going to be back until they can find someone better. And I think there's a realistic possibility that comes in the draft this year, looking tentatively at the draft class as it's beginning to shape up. Edge rusher looks pretty strong this year, and I would I would bet there's a pretty realistic possibility that Packers try to add another edge rusher at some point in the first two or three rounds. They'll probably spend a, a top 100 pick on an edge rusher if, if one if it works out, you know, how the, the draft board breaks down. But if I had to guess, they're, they're probably going to do that. So Garvin may end up just being more of a special teams only player, which is probably a better fit for him at this point in his career. We've seen what he can do as a pass rusher. It hasn't turned out to be all that much. That brings us to Rashawn Gary. And I should mention that we go from least snaps played to most and that unfortunately means that we arrive at Rashawn Gary a lot sooner than we would probably prefer because Rashawn only ended up playing 378 snaps on defense this year. Not great. And that's because of the torn ACL in week nine against the Detroit Lions. Just one of many, many bad things that happened for the Packers in that game. Prior to that, though, in really the eight games before he tore his ACL, it was shaping up to be something special. Six sacks, seven tackles for loss, 12 quarterback hits, pressure rate of 18.63%. Absolutely insane. And if you go to thepowersweep.com, you check out our pass rushing stats, just look at how his development curve ramps up. He has grown every single year as a pass rusher. The arrow has just been pointed straight up for Rashawn Gary. He figures out every year how to get better, and he's gotten better every single year. It's just been an incredible journey for Gary, and that's why it was such a bummer to prepare for the podcast today. We had to, I had to sit down and, and talk about how his season ended with these incredible numbers, and we only got to see it for nine games. Looking back at his development curve, and we've got the whole numbers laid out for you at thepowersweep.com, his numbers have just gone up each and every year. When he was drafted, I I think I think real and justified concerns about his college productivity. He he didn't put up big numbers rushing the passer at Michigan. He he simply didn't. But he has really harnessed his abilities, his physical tools every year in remarkable and interesting ways. And he's just improved year over year over year. His his pressure rate as a pass rusher, according to Pro Football Focus's pass rush numbers, has gone up every year that he's been in the league. And you can see how his skills have changed on the field. He's not just a bull rusher anymore. He's not just a guy who wants to run around people. When he started in the the NFL, when he joined the Packers, when he was drafted by the Packers, it was either run around or run through. Those were the pass rush moves for Gary. 
now he's got some combo moves. Now he uses his hands. Now he figures out how to attack players. And he still has or had that dynamic athleticism until he tore his ACL. And now he's got to face the long road back. His expectations, my expectations for him were so high coming into this year and he was meeting them. And that's why this one stings so much because he was going to be everything the Packers ever hoped he could be this year. And he looked like he was putting together a really special season. Now he ends up kind of coming up short because of the torn ACL. Prediction wise, everything that we predicted for him came up short, but he'd have been right there on on pretty much everything. He was on pace to hit our sack numbers that we predicted for him, quarterback hits, everything. He was doing fantastic. So what comes next year? You'd have to think, starting with the positive things, that a contract extension is coming for Gary sooner than later. I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of those guys who ends up getting the extension before the start of the season. I predict they're going to. I think you're probably going to look and see Rashawn Gary get a contract extension before the end of training camp. Doesn't seem like there's any reason not to. ACL injuries aren't what they were in the past. And I think even if his particular ACL injury saps some of his speed, he still has elite power. He still is becoming a more refined pass rusher. And I think the way that ACL recoveries are now, you can bet on him being most or all of the way back at some point in 2023. Certainly, you would think in 2024. But that's where the timeline comes into play a little bit here. Because I would have to think he's at real danger of of missing the start of the, the 2022 season, 2023 season, excuse me. He tore his ACL on November 6th, 2022. If he's going to be ready for week one, ballparking it, you would say you would have to have him ready around September 1st for him to have a real shot of getting out there for week one. Last year, the first game of the season, I think it was on November 8th, or not November 8th, September 8th. It's usually about there, the the second weekend, first weekend after Labor Day, whatever you call it there. It ends up being um, about that, that range, 7th, 8th, 6th, 8th, in that range somewhere. If you wanted to get him back and, you know, fully cleared by September 1st, that would be 299 days from his ACL tear. It is possible that he could get back there. Elton Jenkins played his first game in the NFL and was practicing uh, before that 301 days after his ACL tear. Robert Tunyon did it 318 days. Josiah DeGuara did it 342 days. David Bakhtiari played his first game after his ACL tear 374 days after his initial injury. But you know what came next. Missed basically that entire first season back. It extended off into into 2022 as well. It finally seems like he's got all the knee stuff behind him only to get his appendix situation. But the point is, it could be anywhere between a year and a year and a half before he's fully ready to go. I would think it's probably going to be on the earlier end, just given what we know about Rashawn Gary and the way that he prepares and practices and, and gets his body body in shape. But looking at those timelines, we got we to gotta keep those sorts of things in mind. And we should probably, you know, now that I think about this, we should put together some sort of ACL recovery timeline on thepowersweep.com because enough of these guys have these injuries, keeping track of when they're hurt, when they start practicing again, and when they're on the field for their first first game post-injury 
I think would be worth tracking because watching those dates and things like that is important. Not everybody comes back and is and is the same player immediately right after their knee injury. One of the hallmarks of the 2016 season, and I think one of the reasons the Packers started fairly slow in the first half of that season, was Jordy Nelson was not all the way back from his ACL injury as the season opened. And I think you can look back historically and, and just how he played and see that he was never fully the same player after that knee injury, but he was definitely a different player in the second half of 2016 than he was in the first half of 2016. And it just takes a while to get your legs back under you again after that kind of injury. And it's not the same for everybody. That's something we should emphasize again and again and again. I mean, this name of list of names that we listed listed off here, Jenkins, Tunyon, Deguara, Bakhtiari, you've got three guys that basically hit it right on the dot with that year mark or a little bit less, 10 months or so. But Bakhtiari's injury lingered, and he needed a couple cleanup procedures and things like that. Rashawn Gary could have that. It could happen again. You would hope that it doesn't, and age and the position he plays may have something to do with that, but it could just be that their bodies are different. Uh, Another name we should throw out there is Kylan Hill. Uh, he tore his ACL on the exact same day as Robert Tunyon. He wasn't ready on the same schedule as Tunyon. And you think out of the two of them, Hill being a smaller, lighter guy might be able to get his knee back to strength sooner, but it took him a little bit longer. And he ultimately didn't end up playing all that long with the Packers for a variety of reasons. But it took him longer to get back on the field than Tunyon did. So remembering that timeline, I guess this is a long way of saying it, Remember the, remembering that timeline and that it takes a different amount of time for, for different players is going to be important when it comes to Rashawn Gary because it's going to be a, a short turnaround to get him on the field for week one to begin with and adding in the complications of other knee injuries. It Just be patient, I guess, is the point as we head, head into 2023 with Rashawn Gary. JJ or Kingsley, or Kingsley or J.J. Enoch Barre, we should just call him Jet Plane and uh, be done with it because that's where the, the nickname J.J. comes with, comes from to begin with. Uh, but the rookie played 465 snaps on defense, I guess is the important part, 86 on special teams. Pretty good rookie year, I would have to say, for, for where he was picked up in the draft. Three sacks, five tackles for loss, eight quarterback hits. Played in all 17 games, started seven of them, ended up putting up a pressure rate of 9.8%. Pretty darn good for Kingsley Enigbari. Expectations heading into the season, at least for me, were pretty low. Uh, I think he had a low bar for success, though. I said at the time that he had, he just had to make it look like it wasn't a mistake for the Packers to only draft one edge rusher last spring. And I would say he did that. If you're going to draft just one guy, he's got to turn out to be a pretty good player. And Enigbari looked like a pretty good player throughout the 2022 season. Overall, very few complaints about how he played this year. I, again, wish that the Packers had done more to address the edge position, but that's not his fault. He did all that was asked of him. The role is probably a little bit too big for where he was as a player at times, but still, he was exactly what you expected him to be. We knew he was a little bit limited athletically. We knew he didn't have a ton of pass rushing tools, but he went out there, was a high effort player, was a smart player. I mean, how many times, at least twice in the second half of the season, did we specifically call him out for blowing up screen plays either before they got started by batting the ball out of the air, realizing what was coming, or chasing down the receiver basically as the ball was getting to him? 
at least two come to mind. There was one against the Rams. There was one against the Dolphins. There may have been one against the Vikings too, where he like narrowly avoided tipping it down. But he, he's proven himself to be, a, I think, a pretty smart player. Um, certainly some growing pains as a rookie. But again, he got put into a pretty big situation sooner than I think the Packers would have liked. As far as next year, he's got to hit the ground running. Rashawn Gary's injury is probably going to be a factor to start the season. He's already shown he can be like your third edge rusher. So the big question now is, can he be your second edge rusher from the get-go? Maybe the Packers draft a real stud edge this spring, and he doesn't have to jump into that role. But I think the, the presumption right now is that he, behind Preston Smith, is going to be the Packers' second most important edge player. Can he handle that role? I think it's going to be an open question until we see him do it on the field. But it looks like he's been headed in the right direction to take that kind of role heading into 2023. I would be bullish on uh, on Enoch Bari right now. I, I am pretty bullish on him right now. I think he's he's got everything you need. And uh, a year in the weight room, he'll be, he'll be even better. Finally, Preston Smith. The Packers, I guess, mainstay edge now, dating back to their free agency spending spree in 2019. He's, he's still here. And he signed a contract extension as well last spring, and I think has lived up to that um, in large part. 825 snaps on defense, played 78 more on special teams, eight and a half sacks, nine tackles for loss, 20 quarterback hits. Pretty solid year. His pressure rate was 10.07%. That was down from 2021, but up from 2020, where he had a bit of a down year. And it feels like midway between his best seasons, which were 2019 and 2021, and 2020, his worst season, is a good place for him to be right now. He's kind of the Packers' top edge rusher. Not kind of. He is the Packers' top edge rusher by default right now. That's probably not the role where you want him, but he's not going to embarrass you in that role either you know what you're going to get from Preston Preston Smith. And I think that showed up in 2022. I had hoped heading into 2022 that he would outright match his 2021 production. He didn't get quite there in terms of the efficiency numbers. Again, his his pressure rate dropped a little bit. But the counting stats stuff, he was right there. He missed his 2021 output by half a sack. He had nine in 21, eight and a half in 2022, but he was the same on tackles for loss and he had more quarterback hits. Statistically, I don't know if you can complain about a whole lot with Preston Smith. Overall, again, I think this was a good year for him. I think he was affected a little bit by Rashawn Gary's absence. It does look like he's the kind of guy who needs to be a sidekick player. He needs to um, to have someone taking a little bit of attention off of him, and then he can really make some guys pay if he gets one-on-one opportunities. We saw that with Zedaria Smith in 2019 when they really had a good season together. We saw that through the first part of 2022 when Rashawn Gary was out there as well. That's fine. Not everybody has to be the, the superstar pass rusher. Sometimes you need those complementary pieces, and I think Preston Smith is a complementary piece. I think it's pretty clear that he's going to be back with the Packers in 2023. There has been some talk about what you can save by cutting him, or especially like a post-June 1st cut would really save you a lot of cap space on on Preston Smith. I think it's more likely that he's going to get his contract restructured. You could create around $6 million in cap space by converting a roster bonus to a signing bonus. I think that's pretty likely going to happen given the Packers' needs at edge rusher with Rashawn Gary out. 
But the Packers are going to need him to continue to do what he's doing. He turns 31 in November. I don't see any reason why he can't have another good year. But I think if he, he has a down year, 2024 is going to be a tough ask for Preston Smith and the Packers because you really start getting into some cap savings territory if you decide to move on. But that is a problem for a different day. For right now, I think Rashawn Gary uh, being on the sidelines is going to help Preston Smith a lot in terms of his job security for 2023. He doesn't have a terribly onerous contract. He should be a part of the Packers' plans for their defense in 2023, if nothing else, because they don't have another guy who can be a a top-end edge rusher for them. And Preston Smith at least has shown that he can do that in fits and starts throughout his time in Green Bay. And he, at his best, is is a very consistent player, down-in, down-out, game-in, game-out. And I think the Packers need more of those on their defense, a defense that can be woefully inconsistent at times. Overall, really, again, no individual complaints with the Packers' edge rushers. I I feel like everybody that was on the roster this year gave you what you pretty much expected from them. Maybe the Packers needed to add some more talent there, but you can't really fault the guys that they did have for the Packers deciding not to do that. It's not their fault. And the guys that were there, I think, put together a pretty solid season in 2022. So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with somebody you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.